You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. I would love for you to introduce our guest for tonight. And I also want to welcome anybody who's watching us on Facebook to uh, stick around and, and write something in the comments. And I'll try to get your questions as well. Okay, thank you, Shannon. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our, uh, as I said, our Israel Elections 2021 series. We're very excited uh, to give people the opportunity to hear in English from uh, the parties themselves and their representatives and people on their lists and some members of Knesset. And uh, sometimes the language barrier can be intimidating. I tell you, my Hebrew isn't yet up to the whizzing of the uh, fast-paced news cycle. So um, this is our opportunity to connect. So tonight, Jeremy Salton, we're very uh, happy to have you here, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us. Jeremy is on Yamina's list for the 24th Knesset and serves as the Director of English Operations. He's a regular commentator for diplomatic and political panels on international networks. And he serves as acting chairman of Meretzeret Sion's Immigration and Absorption Committee and as a member of the Harel Planning and Construction Committee. He made Aliyah from Skokie, Illinois. So great to have you on, Jeremy. And uh, I'll start off by asking you this. Uh, if you could tell us a little about your personal story, your Aliyah, and how you got into politics in Israel, and what that experience has been like. Sure. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Shana. Thank you, everyone, for coming out uh, for an opportunity to hear me tonight. Uh, so when I made Aliyah, and as you mentioned, I made Aliyah from Skokie, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, we uh, made Aliyah to Bet Shemesh. And I remember it crystal clear when uh, it was just a week before I started sixth grade. This is before Nefesh Benefesh. Uh, we, we land, we get off the plane. Uh, there's a clerk there from Israel Pnim, right, from the Interior Ministry. And... Uh, I go to, to tell her what my name is and my details. And she asks me uh, what my name is. I say, my name is Yermiahu Binyamin. She says, well, it says here on your American papers that you're, you're Jeremy Benjamin. I said, yeah, but you know, at, at the Brit, the name that I got was Yermiahu Binyamin. That's my Hebrew name. We're in Israel. I figure that, you know, that should be my name here. And she said, well, you know, Shemot uh, secular names are very in right now. So you're going to just be Jeremy. And middle names, no one really cares so much about that. So I'm just going to drop your middle name. You, you'll thank me for these changes. And, and I've just been Jeremy ever since. So, you know, in terms of my Aliyah story, even before I went ahead and left the airport, I already got a very good dose of a welcome to this country where they decided for me what my name was going to be and literally dropped my middle name. Uh, we arrived to the place that we were supposed to live in that uh, my parents had you know, signed a contract to rent only to find out that the tenants were ready, uh, the, the, sorry, the previous people were, were still in the apartment. And, um, and, and we didn't know what to do because we had just come off the plane. Of course, uh, you know, everything was on the lift except for our suitcases. And we called up the landlord and he said, well, you know, there was a problem, but I'm not going to kick out the people that are in there. Figure it out yourself. Again, this is before Nefesh Benefesh. We call up uh, the Jewish agencies, you know, guy who helped us make Aliyah. Of course, he doesn't pick up the phone. Uh, we call up the municipality. This is before a lot of Americans and other Anglos came to Bet Shemesh. There was no one there that spoke any English. 
And once they did figure it out, they said it was not their problem. So that, that was my introduction uh, to, in terms of my Aliyah story. It was pretty tough. Uh, luckily, we did not sleep on the street. Um, it was very nice because one of the things I can say about the Anglo community here in Israel is that we're all very warm people. It doesn't matter if you're in Tel Aviv, if you're in Yerushalayim, if you're in Bet Shemesh or anywhere else. There was a family that happened to be as many Israelis are in August on vacation and were not anyways in, in their house. And their key was by one of the neighbors. And, and we just stayed there for the week until we we're able to move into the place uh, that we were renting. But, but I can tell you, I, I don't know about your all, your own uh, personal Aliyah stories, but I can tell you that mine was definitely a very, very challenging one. Um, you know, uh, one other thing that, that I can tell you that uh, I, I, I found it's a good segue to get into politics is um, uh, just about a year or two after we made Aliyah, uh, Netanyahu was, of course, prime minister the first time he was elected in 96. And we're having a tough time and we're dealing with that question. Should we go back? Should we not go back? And my dad did um, th that thing that that I guess, you know, most Anglos do. He he wrote a letter to the prime minister. He wrote a letter to Netanyahu complaining about all the different things that are wrong and asking for some help. Um, you, you know, in America, you, you write to your congressman, you at least get a response that it was received. Um, likewise, if you come from the UK or, or, you know, from Canada or so on and so forth, uh, until now, um, you know, we're still waiting for that letter to come by. Um, so, so I already knew from, from a young age that if I want to see any sort of change in this country, if I want to make sure that things end up going on a better path, that, that I need to go ahead and take my own life into my own hands and try to make a difference to try to make sure that we bring some of the culture and values that we have over to this country. Uh, the, the way I got started in politics was the 99 election. Um, there was a party that I was supporting. Uh, back then it was uh, the National Union was headed by Benny Begin. Uh, I went to, you know, volunteer based on the information that, that I heard back when we had those digest lists, right? Before Facebook, before WhatsApp. And uh, I showed up at, at the place and they uh, told me that I could start with bumper stickers. So I started giving out bumper stickers. I, I worked myself up because I did such a good job with the bumper stickers. I ended up with flyers and then uh, organizing parlor meetings. And just as, can you hear me now? Yeah, you're back. All right. Well, I'm sorry about that, but I think we've all gone through enough Zooms this year with Corona that you can sympathize with my technical difficulties. And Jeremy, if you if you just pull back a little, your face is a little. Um, sorry. Sure, okay. I can uh, I can go back. Is that better? A little bit better. A little more in focus. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, so. Each election, I went further up uh, the ranks, up the ladder. Um, I was a uh, city coordinator, then a regional coordinator. And then I got involved in everything that goes behind the scenes. I was a parliamentary assistant. I was a minister assistant. I was a, fa a faction assistant, which means you work within the Knesset, within the faction, uh, which is a collection of different parties in most cases, and uh, a party employee. 
And uh, a big part of what I've been doing over the last eight years, eight plus years, is I've been running the English outreach for Naftali Bennett already back from uh, 2012 up until now, and being able to deal with a lot of the various complaints and issues that have come up in English so that there's someone to actually have an address compared to what I went through back in 1995 when, when again, my family was on the street and literally there was no one to actually talk to. Um, so that's a little bit about uh, my, about, uh, my Aliyah and, and how I got my start in politics. Great, thank you. Um, so what do you think are some of the pressing issues for Olim uh, that can be realistically be impacted through the political process, and what is the best way to make that happen? And over the years, uh, there has been talk about forming an Anglo party even, or an Olim party, I guess the Russians did, um, but, uh, and that hasn't materialized, probably because Olim come from the whole spectrum of the political, so of the political, uh, political spectrum. So, uh, what do you think those issues are, and how can Olim kind of parlay uh, their critical mass to make that happen if everyone's spread out through many different parties? Well, I think, you know, when we talk about Anglo issues, it starts with the language barrier. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. Uh, obviously, for a lot of people, the, the easy thing is they want to be able to talk to someone in English. How many times have you gone to a government? Uh, office or municipality, maybe in Tel Aviv, I hear it's a little bit better than other places around the country, but even there I've heard stories, and, and there's just no one to talk to in your own language. But a lot of times, again, it's not the actual language, it's just that the mentality, the culture is very different. Um, I can tell you that previous Anglo MKs, whether it's Dove Lippmann, who was able to streamline the driver license process, or um, for a lot of people, uh, the work that Michal did just a few months ago, of during Corona allowing um, parents to come in for their for their children's birth, so that you know they could be there to help out anyone uh, who has you know parents uh, back in the diaspora. A lot of times they, they know that they need that extra help when it comes to a birth. So there have been a lot of issues that I can say are things that you haven't traditionally seen from other aliot or, or issues that other people have uh, that are that are um, sabarim or sabras. In terms of stuff today, I think um, you have issues such as professional license, which haven't necessarily been transferred here, depending on the occupation. You have various people who've gone to very good universities, but the accreditation has not been taken care of over here. Um, I think you also have an issue that, that I, at least I can tell you a lot from American Olim, uh, in terms of the fact that the tax treaty is very old issues with, with social security versus B2F Lumi, depending on what when you made Aliyah, if you have enough quarters, you could have a situation where, where you might not necessarily qualify in, in one or, or perhaps, you know, either you might end up on, on the complete minimum scale, despite going ahead and putting, you know, for decades money into both systems. So th there are a lot of things that I think us specifically as Anglo Lim deal with as issues that when you're trying to talk to other uh, representatives, whether they're in the Knesset or the government, they just don't understand because these are not things that they're dealing with. These are not things that their families are dealing with. And I, I do think the reason we've not had an Anglo party is because traditionally, what do we care about? We care about national security. We care about diplomacy. We care about the economy. 
we, we care about issues that are on a much higher level than uh, these type of issues that, that, that we're talking about right now. But what it comes down to is for a lot of people, this is one of the most important things. And, and I know a thing or two about polls. I can tell you that politicians will look at the top three, maybe the top five things that, that people are looking at. And unlike uh, the, the Anglo crosstab, where this might be a top three or a top five issue, this is not going to come up very high on a majority of, of uh, you know, what the Israeli public is looking for. And that's a big reason of why uh, we've not seen a lot of process on these issues, except with the exception of when we've had Anglo representatives in Knesset who understand these issues because they come from the community and then are actually actually able to go ahead and go through to be. And uh, can you hear me again? Yeah, by the way, a crucial uh, Olim issue is a bandwidth. Oh, for, yes. Uh, to work abroad. <laughs> You're telling put me, that, see? Put that on your list. The startup nation needs a startup bandwidth. I, I agree with you. I'll, I'll tell you also, it's, it's very sad, but you know, if you're, if you're talking to people in the periphery, their bandwidth is even worse than, than those of us who live in the center of the country. So as bad as we have it, there are people that have it even worse than we do. And you're right, it's ridiculous. We're, we're so, you know, we're, we're, we're the startup nation, the, the, really the country with such innovation startups, you know, the most exits per capita, but, but we can't even get our internet infrastructure straight. Okay. No, no. Work in progress, as they say. Yes. So um, could you give us a bullet uh, presentation of what, I believe the formal name is Yemina Hadasha, uh, which we, is colloquially referred to as Yemina, stands for? So um, as I said before, you, you have factions, right, and you have parties. Um, I'm from Yemina Hadash which is running under the Yamina Alliance. We're running together with the Shulmanim, which are a small business group. Um, you have this with a lot of different parties where you have um, different parties running on a joint slate. So just to make it easier for you, we're, we're Yamina, that's, that's who you're voting for. And um, if you wanna deal with the nitty gritty, then we're Yamina Hadash inside Yamina. And Slonim, this business group is a party or sub-party? So yeah, they're, uh, again, they're, they're their own grouping, if you will. Um, you, you have this, like I said, in other parties, for instance, if you're looking at um, uh, a good example would be um, the UTJ, right? United Torah Judaism, where you have the Lithuanian side, you have the, uh, the, the Hasidic side, you have the joint list, right? Where you have uh, the communist side, then you have the nationalist side, then you have uh, the, the more religious side. Um, you, you have different parties that are sort of uh, mixed around, um, right? Blue and white was a, uh, was a party in the previous election of, you know, three or four different parties together with, uh, with Telem and Yeshatid and, you know, uh, Israel Resilience. And then you had the breakaway with Derek Eretz and so on and so forth. I know it can be very, very complex and complicated. Believe me, even for people within the process, sometimes it can be a little confusing to remember who's in which party and what is the party name called and which parties are running together on the same slate. So again, we're, we're Yamina. That's the list that we're running on. That's the faction that we're in. 
Naftali Bennett, of course, is the leader of our list. And within that slate, so we do have this other uh, group called the Shulmanim who are running together with Hayamina Khadash under the Amina banner. Okay, so if you could give us a bullet point right. of what you so, guys stand for, please. So what I can tell you that we stand for is that unlike what we see with the other parties, we're the only ones that have a plan on the table in terms of how to actually combat the coronavirus, right? We have a, a, a reactive government. They don't have concrete plans. We go into a uh, lockdown for one reason, we leave it for another reason. We'll go with the R as a parameter, but we'll change it. One day it's about averages, another day it's about the um, overall numbers. One day it's it's a three-day rolling number, another day it's a seven-day rolling number. One day we're looking at indication of the hospital beds, another day we're, we're just looking at the overall amount of patients. It's just a big mess. What we, what we are able to bring to the table is Naftali Bennett, who was defense minister during the first lockdown, which was definitely the most successful out of all three that we've gone through here within the state of Israel. And he, during that time, put together a plan to prevent future lockdowns. He literally wrote the book called How to Defeat Corona, and he, he went ahead and he put a plan on the table. We still do not have a plan from this government and the other people who are running to be prime minister, whether it's Gidon Saria or Lapid, they don't have plans. They just say that they'll figure it out when they get there and, and they're not saying what they would do differently. So that's one big bullet point. Another one is the economy. Look, we, we are talking about making 400,000 new jobs. That's something that no one else is promising. We have an unemployment of 18%. That is a crazy number. Yeah, for sure it's Corona, but if you look at a lot of countries, most of them have not gotten to this point because they went about the process of how to deal with Corona and employment in a different situation. Instead of the chalat, right, of sending people on, on the you know sick leave uh, with, without pay, there, there are other programs that we've seen used in other countries. Again, you can go to our, go to our website and be able to see concrete plans of how to deal with that. That's a second big bullet point. A third one is that we're the only ones that are not being boycotted by any of the key players, and we're not boycotting any of the key players. We're the only ones that can really prevent us from going to a fifth election. We hear one guy that's boycotting a second guy, that's boycotting a third guy, that's boycotting a fourth guy. And really what happens if you look at every single poll is either they are liars or we're going to end up in a fifth election. Could you explain the boycotting? Sure, no problem. We have we have a situation, for instance, where um, Lieberman says he will not sit in any coalition with the Haredim, and the Haredim say they will not sit with any coalition within Lapid, and Lapid says he won't sit in any coalition with Likud, and Likud says they won't sit with any coalition with, with Gidon Sar, and Gidon Sar says he won't sit with any uh, coalition with Smotrich, who says he won't sit with any uh, coalition with Labor or Merits. It, and guys, I wish, you know, that this was some sort of joke, but but it's not. We are the only party that no one is boycotting. Nobody is boycotting us except for the joint list who's just not considered a key player because they don't participate in the government forming process. And again, all if you if you listen to, to what what it is that we're saying also, 
we are trying to, you know, run for prime minister, of course, with Naftali Bennett, the only guy who has concrete plans. But on the other side of it, we're saying that if we fail in that mission, we're not going to go into these boycott, you know, situations, which is either going to force us to lie to our voters, which it's very likely a lot of the party leaders are going to end up doing that in the end of the day, or force us to go to a fifth election in less than two years when we're still dealing with Corona. And again, 18% unemployment and just, you know, on a verge of a complete economic, you know, breakdown. As much as we don't like the other people running for, for prime minister to boycott everybody and ascend us to a fifth election is not necessarily the best thing for the state of Israel right now. Okay, thank you. Um, so let me ask it this way. I know that uh, uh, Naftali Bennett has very strong positions on, uh, on the Yudan Shomron, on the Palestinian issue. Um, would he still, if you could clarify that a little bit and ask, would he still join with a party that didn't have those same positions? In other words, some people do feel, uh, you know, I have my red lines, I have my break it and make it and break it issues. Yeah, for sure. Look, the parameters that Naftali Bennett has set are, are very clear. Anyone that accepts Israel as a Jewish and democratic state and is willing to accept a coalition guideline that says that we're going to take all of the major obstacles and, and you know arguments we have and put them on the side and deal with both corona from a health perspective and from an economic perspective and get us working again that they are a legitimate uh, coalition partner and, and that's why again we're not boycotting anybody because just about everyone within the political map with the exception of maybe two lists running uh, agree with that and when it comes to everyone else, they, they understand that if we are going to form a government, they're going to have to deal with it. Look, Naftali Bennett and myself, you know, we're, we're right wing guys, right? The, the party's called Yamino, which translates to rightward. But we understand after three elections, now in a fourth one, the chances of us getting a, a right wing government where we're able to go ahead and do right wing things is just not something that's in the cards. And it's also, frankly, not what's the most important right now. When you're dealing with the fact that we're having this on Zoom instead of having it by you guys in Tel Aviv, if we're in a situation where a lot of the people who are listening in are, are either at home working or not at home and not working, that they don't know what it is that is going to be with their future, the last thing they're thinking about is the Palestinians, you know, question or, or a situation of what's going to be with um, whatever uh, relationship we're going to have with X country or Y country. What, what matters to them is being able to get through the month. And I know for, especially for Olim, uh, the, there are a lot of people who are hit extremely hard. They don't have the support system that a lot of people uh, who were born here do have. They don't have, you know, uh, parents necessarily that they can go ahead and run back to. And, and I think that especially when it comes to, 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 again, most immigrants, but especially Anglos, this is something that resonates with a lot of people. It's either we go ahead and take all of these issues that we've been arguing about for three elections and put them on the side and deal with what really matters, or again, we run the risk of not forming another coalition and just repeating this not only in a fifth election, but in a sixth election, a seventh election, and so on and so forth. Once we deal with those issues, then we can go ahead and you know be safe 
knowing that the, that's dealt with and then we can deal with the other issues. We'll have another election. We'll go back to those fights and then maybe it'll it'll be a little bit less important if we have to have four elections after we deal with it. But right now it's very important that we form a government. It's very important that we are able to actually deal with this because if not, I, I don't even want to you know suggest where we might go in, in terms of the path that lies ahead. Thank you. By the way, I wanted to tell everyone, if you have questions, please start posting them on the chat and they will be uh, taken up after our talk. So um, given what you just said, does uh, the party have a position on elect electoral reform in Israel? In other words, you know, as you said, fourth election, maybe fifth in two years. Um, and uh, Naftali Bennett, you know, very interesting background that he was a businessman, you know, this model in Western countries of the businessman turned politician uh, seems to have an edge to it because they feel like, you know, businessmen know how to run things and build things and get things done. So uh, what is his view on uh, making the government system work? So the one thing he has committed to so far is the issue of how we we deal with this prime minister situation. We're, we're against retroactive pieces of legislation. That's been something that's been consistent since the party entered the Knesset. Now, what we think needs to happen is you need to have a cap in terms of how long a prime minister can be able to serve. What he suggests is to have it at about eight years. That seems to be a good mark uh, in America I know uh, in the UK, uh, if you look at you know Tony Blair and others, they, they chose ten years. Of course, our system is is uh, more like the parliamentary system than than the presidential. But but the number that he threw out there is he thinks around eight years. If you have a situation where prime ministers can no longer um, send us into an election after another election after another election, we're, we're hopeful that. Even that, what might seem as a, a small tinkering of, of the system, th that if we do have a top-bottom approach, we might see a better situation. We supported the raising of the threshold, which was one of the aspects of electoral reform back in 2014. I don't necessarily know if that was something... Can you explain what that is, raising the threshold? Sure. And second question, when you say you're not, not retroactive, in other words, it wouldn't apply to Bibi, the eight-year limit. Correct. Well, sure. if it would apply to him, then he wouldn't be able to, to even, you know, run uh, in this election. Uh, and again, we have a problem with with retroactivity. Okay. Uh, of course, we're, we're trying to replace Netanyahu, but, but to actually, and we did hear this from some parties, to legislate something that would then disqualify Netanyahu from the election, that, that just doesn't seem like a fair move within the democratic process. If you say this is the new law and it's moving forward, that does seem more fair. In terms of electoral threshold, what one of the things that we've had here in Israel um, is um, a system that prevents smaller parties from being able to enter the Knesset. That's what an electoral threshold is. We have 120 seats within the parliament. That comes out to 0.8% each seat. But what we've done over a number of years, first to 1%, then to 1.5%, then to 2%, right now it's at 3.25%. That was the last increase which we supported okay. so in just 2000. To, just to clarify, so that means that uh, a candidate has to get 
Yeah, you you went out there for a minute, but yes, in terms of the clarification, correct. 3.5% of what? 3.25% of what is called the kosher votes. Well, what are the kosher votes? The kosher votes are the votes that that are for a party list that were not disqualified and does not include the white uh, ba ballots, the, the blank slips. Okay, I've been here two and a half years. Let's back up, please, because you lost me. So sure. are, is this in the primaries? No. So what, so what happens is that they're going to get 3.5% if it, the vote has, the election hasn't happened and now they're all right. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. When you go into the ballot box, I, I mean, I'm assuming for most of you, this is your fourth time, right? In two years, but assuming it's your first time, you go to the ballot box, you're not voting for a person, right? You're, you're, you're voting for a list and the, each list is represented by a letter or a series of letters. Yamina is represented by the letter bet. So for instance, if you were to vote for Yamina, you would go behind the cardboard box. You would uh, take a small piece of paper, uh, just one, and you would put it in an envelope, right? The one that says has bet on it. And then you would go over to another cardboard box. And within a panel of three people, you would go ahead and put in that envelope. Now, what is a kosher vote? Any vote that was put into that ballot box the way that I described it. If you decided to put five votes in the envelope, it is disqualified. If you decided to take a, a pen and mark something or write something, it is disqualified. If you decided to go and just take a blank piece of paper as a protest vote and not vote for any party and just take that white blank slip and put it within the envelope and put it in the cardboard box, that is also disqualified. So what they do is they count all of the votes at the end of the night. The poll, the, the voting is until 10 p.m. from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. 10 p.m. They they close the room. They they open up the cardboard box, and within the panel of three people, they go ahead and and they tally the votes. And the disqualified votes are put on the side. It, it's counted as disqualified votes, but they're not counted for the purpose of the allocation of the Knesset seats or for the allocation of the electoral threshold. Now, what they do is they take 3.25% of the overall amount of the kosher votes. Um, for instance, in one election, it came out to 140,000 votes. And they determined that anybody that got less than 140,000 votes, even if they should get three seats in Knesset, or two seats in Knesset or one seat in Knesset, they get zero seats because that's what the electoral threshold is. You must pass the threshold to get into Knesset. So, so each party would have has to have four to five Correct. members of Knesset. Now, in the run-up now, there was a process that knocked out parties. What was that based on? Yes, so what we had and this comes out uh, 48 or 47 days before the election, is what we call the deadline for the submission of lists. Once a list is submitted, right, once a candidate list is submitted, you cannot change the order. Let's say, you know, Naftali Bennett says, you know what, I'm looking around, Jeremy is doing a great job around the country, I want to promote him, I want to put him higher on my slate, I want to put him in the top five because he's amazing. 
He can't do that. Once that deadline passes, the candidate list, as was submitted, cannot be changed. People can resign. You can't add new names and you can't reorder names. If you failed to submit your candidate list by the deadline, you are automatically disqualified from the election. But there were some groups that want that were parties and no longer are or wanted to form parties and couldn't. How does that process work? Can so, I just go out and say, I've got 10 people on my list. I'm creating a new party. I'm going to be in the election. So the way it works here, we're, we're the most uh, you know, democratic, I guess you can say, in, the, in this manner. You need to, you need to get um, 1,000 signatures of, of course, Israeli citizens. And you have to submit it to what's called the party register. And what they do over there is they, they go over the signatures. But assuming you have 1,000 good signatures, you, you have a political party. And then you can submit a list of candidates for Knesset. That, that's, that's, you, know, you pay a fee, of course. But, but it's very, very easy. For, for relatively little money, you can create your own uh, party and run in the election. Your mayor, uh, Ron Choldai in Tel Aviv, decided to form a party. He failed to submit a list of candidates by the deadline. As a result, he can't run in the election. <laughs> That's the way it works. You have certain um, benchmarks when it comes to the election. And if the party does not meet what the criteria is for that given time, they can't run. And again, it's not difficult to submit a list. And can but, you explain but he didn't submit what, it. What, the what, what purpose the list serves, what it means, what the order means? Sure. So um, as I said, you vote for parties, you don't vote for people. Each party has its own system of how they go ahead and decide the order of the candidates on the list. If, for instance, we end up winning 20 seats in the next Knesset, so candidates one through 20 will go into the Knesset. If we win 40 seats, something that hasn't happened in a very long time, then one through 40 would end up going in to the Knesset. But for instance, in the previous scenario, I said where we win 20 seats from number 21 to 40, they're left outside of the Knesset. Now, if someone resigns or, you know, someone passes away, the next people on the list end up entering in their place, as opposed to other places that, that a majority of people in Anglo countries are used to, where there is a runoff election when there's an open uh, seat, there is no runoff election. You have a list of candidates and new members of Knesset go in based on the order that they were on the submission of the lists, you know, back 47 days before uh, the actual election was taking place. So you, you have a situation where I would say right now, roughly, let's say, uh, two to 3,000 people are actually on the ballot in the 20-some uh, parties that are running in this election. Uh, based on polls, we're going to see somewhere between, let's say, eight to 10 lists that pass that electoral threshold of roughly four seats in which they'll enter the Knesset. And then um, based on the percentage of vote, uh, to make it easy, if you get 10% of the vote, right, you would get 12 seats out of the 120. So you have a situation where the candidates who are further up on the list will get in. The ones who are further down are, are sort of in this limbo or waiting room, if you will, where they're waiting for their number to be called on this bench 
that they're sitting on until the end of the term is over. And then just very briefly, uh, if you could explain to us how then uh, a, a government is formed very briefly, and then if you have any final closing things you want to share with us about Yamina and the election, and then we'll go to questions. Sure. Um, so it's a three-phase process of how we form a government. The first phase is the Knesset vote, where you are voting for the legislative body. You're not voting in this election for the executive branch. You're voting for your, um, your congressman, your, your district member, your member of parliament. That, that's who you're voting for in this Knesset election. Now, after the votes are counted, we know which parties got into Knesset. And that goes to the second phase where the leader of each party sends a delegation to the president's residence, right? We have a president that is not, the prime minister is the one with the power, he's the leader of the executive branch. The president is sort of like our queen, okay? Who's the head of state, but is more of a figurehead. Here he has that symbolic role where, where each party that passed the threshold recommends a candidate for prime minister. That is the second vote. In, this, in the first vote, you vote. In the second vote, only the parties in the Knesset are able to, to go ahead and nominate. And they nominate based on how many seats they get. If a party gets 10 seats, they nominate 10 seats for the candidate of prime minister of their choice. The third phase is the vote in the Knesset, the vote of confidence the government that's formed must have the confidence of the Knesset, right? The, the legislative branch must have confidence. The old, the old Knesset or the new, this is the old Knesset or the new No, Knesset? the new one. Okay. The new one. Now, in between the second vote at the president's residence and the third vote in the Knesset, you have what's known as coalition negotiations, where they sign coalition uh, uh, agreements. They give out ministries, committee chair positions, and you'll notice a lot of media attention on that part, which is between the second and third phase. But that's how we how we form a government. Well, the Knesset no, election, president residence, and then um, the Knesset confidence vote. Known in English as horse trading. Yes, a lot of horse trading between two and three. Some would say there, there's horse trading between one and two, but since the majority of the parties, they make commitments before the election, what they're going to do in the second phase there's usually less horse trading between one and two. So the chances are Yamina will not be uh, a majority party. And they has Yamina already said who they would propose to the president to be prime minister? Yes. Um, Yamina said that we're going to nominate Naftali Bennett for prime minister, regardless of the number of seats we get, regardless of the number of parties that choose to support us. Now, of course, between the second phase and the third phase, uh, we're keeping our options open. But when it comes to the second phase, we made that commitment. We're not going to support Netanyahu as we did in previous elections. We're done with that. We're not going to go ahead and support uh, somebody else. If they're a different prime minister candidate, if they get more seats than us, we're going to go ahead and support Bennett no matter what in the president's residence. That's our commitment to our voters. Uh, the problem we have with the other parties is they're making commitments, what they're going to do in the third phase. And, and like I said, with all the horse trading that goes between the second phase and the third phase, they're either lying to the public or they're deliberately trying to send us to a fifth election. <laughs> Those are really the only two options uh, th that we have. In terms of just a few final points on Yamina before I take your questions, 
one of the unique things that we have in the amino list is that we have the most Anglo representation out of all of the different parties running for Knesset in this election. The top of our list, of course, is Naftali Bennett, who, you know, his parents uh, made Aliyah from San Francisco. He grew up in a home speaking, you know, English around him. Uh, and very much, I can tell as a person who, again, I, I've been leading his English re, um, outreach for, for over eight years now. He's very much within his mentality, the most out of all of the prime minister candidates um, in tune with, you know, the values that we have from, from Anglo countries. Second of all, you, you have me. I'm the only guy who's running with a chance to actually enter the Knesset out of the different Anglo candidates that are running on the various lists. Besides me, we have other Anglos in unrealistic positions, but, but that, again, shows you that we have a very high representation of our community within the party. And uh, if I do end up uh, getting your, your trust and your vote, I'll be able to go ahead and really work on a lot of the issues that I talked about earlier on uh, during this, uh, this interview, but also be able to be an address who, again, can understand you not just within the language that we speak, but also in the mentality that we come from. Thanks, happy to take the questions. Thank you. We'll now turn it over to Shana Fold, who will uh, be moderating the questions. And once Fair again, enough. you can post your questions on the chat. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank, Thank you, Jonathan. Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy, for breaking that down, giving us the bullets, giving us the numbered list, taking us through what happens from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. for the voting process. That was just excellent. We really appreciate it. And thankfully, we have lots of engagement in our chat. We have a lot of questions. I'm going to get to them now. Um, I just want to make sure that I didn't miss any up here at the top. And I am going to begin with um, I don't know what his first name is, but Berger may be his last name. How would or will Yamina deal with the Haredi state that not only does participate in building and upholding the state, but now is actively endangering the state? Um, and I'm not exactly sure what we mean by endangering the state, but if, if uh, that person wants to follow up, in the meantime, Jeremy, do you have a response for how you would, uh, how Yamina will move forward with, to include the uh, Haredi population? Sure. Uh, what I think the question is referring to is a, a situation where a lot of us are quite aware of, in which there are, I wouldn't say the entire Haredi population, but there are segments within the Haredi population who are certainly not following at all uh, what the law is, what the regulations are in terms of corona. So, so we're seeing this right now, but this has been an ongoing problem for a long time. What it comes down to is we have a situation where we have a government that, that is not dealing with enforcement and, and they're not dealing with um, a situation in which they are very clear about the consequences of what happens when you don't follow the rules. One of the things that Naftali Bennett put in his plan, and again, I encourage you guys to actually vote for someone who has a plan as opposed to someone who's just winging it, okay, is a situation in which we say there is criminal um, uh, charges, there's criminal responsibility for people who go ahead and do things that they're not supposed to be doing. One example is uh, the education system. You had a lot of Haredi schools that were open during the entire time. Now, they got fines. I'll tell you, for a lot of them, they made so much money that the fines really did not bother them. 
They were happy to stay open and eat the fines. And in many cases, they didn't even pay the fines and they're trying to use their political connections to get out of them. What, what we're saying is very simple. If there is criminal responsibility on the education institution owner, the person who is actually opening up the key and opening the door in the morning, then he's probably not going to go ahead and open that institution. That's something that was not possible in this government because of the lack of leadership and the lack of will by the current prime minister. We will get that done. Thank you, Jeremy. Next question. Why did this question comes from Tal? Uh, why did Yamina not join the current government? Well, it's no it's no secret. Like I said, until this election, we have always nominated, including this past one, we've nominated Netanyahu for prime minister. The reason we didn't end up in this coalition is because uh, for, for whatever personal reason or grudge or whatever it was, uh, the prime minister decided to leave our party out. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that he chose to leave our party out. He did decide to take one of our members, right? We all know the prime minister, maybe we don't know, I should say this. It's important. The prime minister to form this coalition, he broke up the blue and white party by taking in Gantz and leaving out Lapid. He broke up the Gesher uh, Labor Merits Party by taking Labor and Orly Levy. He broke up the joint list to have support from the outside from uh, um, Mansour Abbas from the United Arab list. He also broke up Yamina, right? He, he ended up taking uh, one of the members and he brought him in for a plum position as a ministry. And he left Bennett, Shaked, and the rest of us on the outside. So, so you can ask the prime minister why he did that. What I can tell you is, after Gantz did leave the coalition, Netanyahu was willing to bring us into the coalition. And Naftali Bennett had that decision he had to make. Should he go back to the defense ministry? Netanyahu was pretty much offering us whatever we wanted. But we looked again at what happened over the last six months, complete failure of leadership. And that's why Naftali Bennett said, no, I'm not going into your government. We're going to have elections because the time has come to replace you. And uh, we voted to have these elections because we think that there needs to be a change in leadership. And hopefully you guys will give us the, the vote so that we'll have the ability to do so. Thank you. Uh, we have another coronavirus related question. The pandemic highlighted the fact that Israel hasn't increased hospital beds in a long time. There aren't enough health facilities in the North and the South. There aren't enough medical staff and they should be getting paid more. What would Yamina do about getting more hospital beds throughout the country and more medical staff and get them better pay? And what would be your monetization plan? So, so again, we, we, if you want to look at the, uh, how would I call them, the minute details, take a look at the full plan. I'm not going to give you the stuff, but in terms of, you know, so, some points I do want to highlight, when we went ahead and supported, uh, you guys remember when Naftali Bennett was education minister, uh, he went ahead and he supported and he created uh, within Ariel University a new division of a medical school. And this was something that was um, really opposed by a lot of people. We said, we have a shortage of doctors. <laughs> we have a shortage of also good quality professionals that want to be able to stay in Israel. I personally know, I'm sure a lot of you guys also know, um, many doctors that have stayed in the States or, or elsewhere because they don't want to take a pay cut and make Aliyah. And, and I can tell you, I have Israeli friends who went uh, to Europe or the States to be doctors because they're paid a lot better there. So again, this is, this is something that I'm well aware of. What you need to be able to do is train, first of all, 
more um, doctors. This is something we did even before coronavirus was a known thing. And for sure, you need to be able to go ahead and increase budgets. And the issue within the North and the South of not having enough when it comes to um, centers or having situations where it could be 45 minutes to an hour until you can get to a medical center. These are all things that have answers within the plan. I suggest you read it. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Is it okay? We have another couple of questions. Probably yeah, I'm happy to go over. I'm happy to go over. Um, probably, yes, regarding uh, things that are in the plan. Uh, but we do have a couple of questions. Where does Yamina stand on justice reform? So we, we do support justice reform. Um, we were a party that believes that when it, there does need to be judicial review, but that the Supreme Court shouldn't be a super legislator. We have a current situation in which there are not any clear checks and balances within basic law, the judiciary. And we have a situation in which the Supreme Court has taken to itself uh, various authority that was never given it to it by the sovereign, which is the, the legislator, which is you guys who, who, who choose that. So we for sure think that there needs to be reform there. But as I said earlier on in, in, in the program here, we're not going to be able to get a majority to work on these issues. And when it comes down to what we need to do, the coronavirus, both in terms of dealing with the health aspect and the economic aspect, that those are going to be the main pillars of this next government. But we do support judicial reform. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Want to get to another one. What does Yamina have to say about progressive organizations that used to be considered marginal but are now becoming mainstream who actually function against the interests of Israel? How would Yamina confront this increasing gap between Israel and growing segments of the North American Jewish community that um, consider themselves progressive and, and strongly defy Israel? You know, I was a deputy delegate to the Zionist Congress that we just had a few months ago, and I had a chance to meet, uh, you know, Jewish leaders from around the globe. I, I think um, a majority of the members of the organizations and the communities that we're dealing with are very much pro-Israel, they're very much Zionist, and they're very much on board with the majority of the things that we're doing. That's true that there are a lot of things that they don't agree with, since a majority of the Israeli Knesset is more to the right, and a majority of the, the um, diaspora community, not just in the States, also in Europe and elsewhere, is more to the left. But, but I'm telling you from inside, from, from inside those meetings, we agree with a lot more than we disagree with. When it comes to specific situations, I'll go back to Bennett's record as, uh, as, as uh, education minister, when there were specific organizations Jeremy, we're not hearing you. Uh, Shannon, maybe take this time to tell people what's coming up next week. Okay, sure. Um, Jeremy, the, I'm just going, okay, he's back. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. Oh. We're losing you. We're losing you, Jeremy. Are you still with us? Okay, so I'm just going to take this moment to tell everyone a little bit about what we have 
coming up. We're very excited. So like I said, this is a a five-part series in which we're going through different parties in order to give you a little taste from an individual on each list about what they represent and what we should expect their values are. And it's, it's a great way for English speakers to get informed ahead of the March 23rd election. So next week, we have member of Knesset Izan Roll from Yesh Atid. That's another party. And we are going to have him. We're going to have the same format. We're going to have a moderated discussion for about 30 minutes or so followed by a Q&A, a question and answer, where you, the viewers, and the constituents, and those who are interested in Israeli politics will get to actually ask questions um, directly to these politicians. So that's very exciting. Like I said, it's just a great exercise in democracy. So that is what we are going to have next. I'm going to check here to see if if Jeremy is with us. I'm, I'm back if you can hear me. Jeremy, thanks so much. Why don't you finish up your thought from before? Sure. Uh, I apologize for that. Again, Zoom. Uh, I, I really, you know, so, so what I was saying before is that, that again, a majority of, of what we talk about, we agree. We don't disagree. I, I go back to, again, Naftali Bennett's record is, is uh, education minister taking out those uh, organizations and groups and communities that are going against Israel as a Jewish and democratic state. And I, I disagree with the notion that these people are gaining power. I think, if anything, um, we're seeing them decrease in terms of the influence that they've had. Again, if you look at the Zionist Congress, I can tell you that um, the, the type of, uh, of people, which I think you might be referring to, lost a lot of their influence and power within that Congress. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, I am very much looking forward to hearing from you again. And uh, we, like I said, it's such an excellent exercise of democracy when you make yourself available, you're speaking to our community in English, the tribe Tel Aviv community. And it's so, uh, there's so much hope and faith involved when you get to really hear the information in English and you're not struggling and you can engage and you can ask the questions that you have on your mind. So we really appreciate it. Um, I do have, there are a couple more questions, but I'm not going to be able to take them today. Sorry about that. I want to let you know what we have ahead. So February 22nd, we have member of Knesset Idan Roll from the Yeshatid party. Followed by that on March 1st, we're going to have member of Knesset Michal Shir from the New Hope, New Hope Party. These are two parties that we're going to highlight in the five-week mini-series, um, Israel Election 2021 series from the Sunset Series. So it's, like I said, it's a mini-series. Within our series, we do this on Monday evenings, 8 p.m. Israel time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bring a little cocktail with you, get ready, listen in, and come up with your questions, and we will be here again uh, Rabbi Feldman, is there anything that you wanted to add in? Uh, well, tonight's uh, talk will be posted on the Jewish Matters podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and on Google. So, if you like, and it's also was posted on Facebook, on Shanna's page, my page, and the Tribe Tel Aviv page will post it as well. You can see it there as well. And once again, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming and uh, give you a lot of credit for. Uh, jumping into the fray of the Israeli political life, but it's a privilege to have uh, an Ole uh, who is there 
and keeping the, uh, the interests and the special needs of Olim in mind. And that's really the answer to the question I asked. We don't have an Ole party, but uh, Olim throughout all the different parties are there to represent us in their own way. So thank you for doing that as well. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Shauna. I'll just say if anyone didn't get their question uh, answered, feel free to send me an email at uh, naftalibennettenglish at gmail.com. Either me or someone from the team should be able to be able to answer your question. And thanks uh, again for, for sharing your evening with me. I hope your drink was uh, as tasteful as mine, I, I, or, or more tasteful, I should say. I was with uh, some yed and water over here, so. Can you give Excellent. me that email again? I'll put it on the chat. Sure, Naftali Bennett English at gmail.com. I just put it in. Thank you everyone so much. Again, if you would like to be informed about our future events, I know a lot of you are here for the first time. Please go ahead and send me a message, uh, whether, any, whether it's right here in the chat or whether it's on Facebook at my personal account or on the tribe. Tel Aviv account. We want to get you on our mailing list so that you can be informed about our next one that we're having next week um, and the week following that. So thank you very much for being with us. Like I said, okay, we have some, uh, some people putting in their emails here. That's great. Put your email in the chat or send it to me. My name is Shanna Fold. You can email me at shannafold at gmail.com. I'm a news reporter in Israel and I also host the Sunset Series on Monday evenings. Uh, we have lots of them rolling in. So thank you to everyone. We're going to put you all on our mailing list so that you can get updated about our future events where we do this. This is going to be a five-part series before March 23rd. And also, if you want to get caught up on Israeli politics and affairs, you can listen to my podcast, the Israel Daily News Podcast. I do this independently and, uh, well, independent journalistically. And uh, it's a roundup of the top five news stories coming out of Israel on a daily basis. So thank you to everyone. We have lots of resources for you. We're going to keep this chat open a little bit longer. And you can throw in your name and your email address, and we will get you on that mailing. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Shanna. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs>